Season 2, Episode 7, and I'm going to do a pause rewind because so far we've covered how it is that we can visualize the virus and the white blood cells in a way that dehumanizes them. Then we moved into the whole idea of how it is that we think the viral replication process happens on our time frame. And it doesn't. So not only is it invisible and it has its own type of process, it does not play by our rules. Then we went into the idea of even though the virus has a pretty stable process. It is contingent upon the host and their many variables. Their variables of health, their variables of genetics, predisposition, environmental factors, etc. And then I went into what it means that there's a docking station, that the first stop to prevent HIV from doing what it's doing is to dock and to prevent infiltration. Today I'm going to do a stop rewind with a phenomenon that happens to many of us once we're prescribed our art. Again, that's antiretroviral therapies. I'll be curious if you can relate. Unlike the prior episodes in season two where I ended with the anecdotal story, I'm going to begin with the anecdotal story. See, if you are living with HIV or you're someone who is taking PrEP, you are required to get lab work. And at the top of this lab work are two metrics. The two metrics are if you are living with HIV, that they want to make sure your viral load is undetectable and that your CD4 count is as high as possible. If you're taking PrEP, it is to ensure that CD, uh, excuse me, it is to ensure that there isn't viral replication, that the virus is not present and that your CD4 count is still, um, I want to say boisterous is not the right word, that it is still formidable, that it is still strong. What most people fail to understand is unless you have a pre-existing condition, whereupon it would require like getting a CBC panel and a number of labs that would provide baseline data, most of us, once we become infected with HIV, that is the first time we know our CD4 levels. Last week, I had spoken about my quote-unquote fight with, how about you dose me like a female? Females are not identical 
to males in terms of their weight, size, muscle mass, biophysiology, anatomy, etc. And my second quote unquote fight was this. It was, how do you know that pre-HIV, that this was just the area I hung out in naturally? Why is this important? Because in the world of CDC prevention, particularly early intervention, you can receive an AIDS case-defined diagnosis. Subsequently, if you, well, it's not an if, when they run the testing for your CD4 levels, they will say to you, if you have 200 or less CD4 cells per millimeter, you're in jeopardy. Your immune system is not working as it is meant to be. And since you are HIV positive, you have tested positive for the HIV antibodies, we are going to come in hard and strong and we are going to provide medication and we're going to provide services and we're going to be on you like white on rice so that you can not only get your viral load undetectable, but that you can, you know, have the power to increase your CD4 cell. My first issue with this was, how do you know that pre-HIV transmission that I didn't hover somewhere between 200 and below? And the answer is, yeah, I didn't know. And that's important because in the world of uh, a working immune system, you will hear professionals tell you that their metric for quote unquote healthy individuals is that you would have somewhere between 600 and 1200 CD4 cells per millimeter. That is a wide range. And if you happen to believe, and here's the second issue, if you happen to believe things like stress, cortisol, um, things that impair your judgment externally, like in, imbibing alcohol, engaging in drug use, if you are not eating properly so your body is not nourished, that it is malnourished, that you're not hydrated, so all your organs are not functioning to optimum capacity, that if you have done things with your genetics, your predisposition, and your state of affairs currently, it's not a far jump from 600 to 200, that decline could occur for other reasons. Now, if you're up in the 1200 zone and all of those elements or some combination of those elements are present to compromise your immune system without HIV, that two, 300, 400 drop still keeps you in the realm of quote unquote healthy immune functioning. I remember vividly positing this framework 
I, I remember saying, well, how do you know? And the answer was, we don't. But the best we have is that if you're 200 or below, we have to treat you like you have AIDS. And so if they treat you like you have AIDS, you receive an AIDS diagnosis. And that's where it stopped. 26 years ago, it was, hey, you tested positive for HIV antibodies. One, two weeks later, once they did the lab work, once they had their little consult, they came in to me and said, AIDS case defined, like I knew what that meant. And I just went on with the contextual understanding of what it meant to have AIDS. So that's my anecdotal story part one. Anecdotal story part two. Back 26, 27 years ago, the presentation was, if you take art, it will decrease your viral load. Then your immune system will reboot and your CD4 count will go up. In concert with that was this thought that you could force your CD4 level up, that you could, you know, just get her done. But they kind of forgot, and it was very circular logic, they forgot this whole baseline, what was contributing to your overall health, pre-HIV exposure. And back then, they did not overtly say, they didn't say anything at all. They're beginning to say it now. They are saying things like, you can better tolerate your medication. You can better boost your immune system, not just because the HIV is not replicating at the same speed, but if you actually take care of your body, like you have to treat it part of your treatment, that if you nourish yourself, hydrate yourself, move yourself, um, try to do harm reduction, and then complete cessation of imbibing any alcohol or drugs that are compromising not only your decision making, but your body to be able to function properly, that that's how you actually have the power, the individual power to have your immune system respond favorably. So it's not a wish and a fish, and oh, I hope my CD4 goes up because the viral load is going down. It's an actual treatment plan, and it's a treatment plan that, like I've said before, everyone with or without HIV, whether it's diabetes, heart conditions, uh, whatever the case may be, you are able to better champion your success rate and better facilitate your medicine efficacy if you are able to respect the holistic aspect of how your body functions. So way back then, it was basically a wing and a prayer. It was take these meds. We didn't have these before. You're fortunate. They are working. 
just take them, just adhere, just comply. And believe you me, if you were not adhering and complying, they would pull out their arsenal and do everything in their power to just make you eat the med, drink the liquid, take the injection. And it was most certainly not couched in any psychological, behavioral understanding or trauma-informed care. And it most certainly was not in the holistic approach of how can we help you eat, rest, sleep, nourish, hydrate, move your body, functional fitness, get fresh air, get vitamin D, have your serotonin levels increase when you're with your loved ones doing something fun. All of that just was like considered whimsy, flimsy, fa-la-la-la, fun stuff. Where it affected me the most is that they would have these retreats or these special events where you could get acupuncture, you could get chakra treatment, you could do yoga, you could have body massage. And that all just rubbed me the wrong way. And there were a number of reasons why it rubbed me the wrong way. Number one, I've had body violations and I've been sexually assaulted. So I didn't want strangers touching my body. The other thing was uh, I came from a certain religious background with a certain spiritual construct that I didn't uh, buy into hook, line, and sinker all of these alternative medicines. Alternative medicines, by the way, that were being shorked as a way to live healthier or cure yourself of your ailments, either HIV as the origin or your opportunistic infections, as opposed to if you're able to deal with your trauma or your hurt, that these holistic approaches could help you relax, recover, heal, and re-enter your life with perhaps a little bit more balance and sanity. So it was being presented in a misconstrued way. And then the last thing as to why I was not all about these issues was at that time, in the context of why I just told you I wasn't all about them, there would be, for every woman, 10 to a dozen gay men. And you would be all in this room with strangers touching you and giving you only half the story as to why they're effective. And it was all sans everything I said earlier, nourishment, hydration, functional fitness, etc. So it was very self-contained. It was, to me, a self-contained, uncomfortable environment looking for a curative agent as opposed to a healing process that felt like party time. And that's not how I wanted to party. Anecdotal story part three. As I had shared in previous episodes, 
nothing about me screamed sickness sans the sero conversion that happened approximately three years earlier. Um, I had shared with you all the symptoms that I was looking at to see, you know, whether my immune system was failing, my hair, my nails, my mouth, etc. Lesions, um, ambulatory issues, uh, wasting syndrome, all the telltale signs that then as now they say to you, you're in an advanced compromised position. And so as I had my long, healthy hair and as I felt empowered and as I was moving through being uh, a lovely, attractive, smart, young adult, uh, granted, trying to move mountains and being under such phenomenal stress as to be unbelievable, um, they put me on this rather intense regimen, which again, I will detail more accurately in the future, that uh, basically became my full-time job. Uh, so there were multiple medications at different sizes that needed to be taken at different times, with or without food, with or without water. And it was highly, highly structured and regimented. And you had the fear of death that if you did not, you know, to the minutia, follow the treatment protocol for your medication, that if not directly said, it was implied it would be your fault that you would die. So before I figured out a lot of things about medication when I started doing research, the research that perhaps should have occurred between the time of diagnosis and here's your medication regimen and let's have a conversation, because again, that's not how it went. You have it, you need this, take it or die. And I know that sounds rough, but I, 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 I just refuse to not uh, embellish with pretty little petals of roses and pink over stink. So I started taking these medications and I, I had super, super adverse reactions. And here's the kick in the teeth. I did not know they were adverse reactions. And when you're told this is all we have and this is what you have to take, the last thing you think you are empowered to do is to go, hey, I think these medications are not working for me. Can we mix it up a little bit? Instead, for me, near 27 years, yeah, near 27 years ago, I was like, oh, shit, the AIDS got me. The AIDS got me. So as I could not move, as my body became encased in a full, fully red inflamed rash that just itched beyond belief, as I could not tolerate food, you know, the food you had to take with certain medications, and as I sat there paralyzed seeing my six-year-old son seeing me being great pain, and then for it to progress to uh, multiple violent moments of vomiting and to also have a symptom where it felt like I was on some egregious caffeine high with my heart racing 
out of my chest and feeling like somebody was reaching in between my shoulder blades, grabbing my heart and trying to pull it back out, simultaneously sucking the air out of my lungs, I was unable to make the discernment. So instead of going, could this be an adverse reaction to one or more of my medications, I ended up buying this narrative. And this narrative was, oh, whew, thank God they got me on the medications because now the AIDS has got me. And now the AIDS is going to kill me. And now I got to do everything in my power to eat the meds because I'm dying. That was such a, part in my language, such a psychological mind fuck as to be unbelievable. And next week I will tell you about Mother's Day 1996. But now, now I will lead into the lesson, if you will. The layman lesson, if you will. I am simply going to start with this. What I believe is the biggest lie in the medical community. And this lie is everything has a quick fix. And this approach to the quick fix it mentality smacks us all in the face of our very real human responses to dealing with actually every issue under the sun. And for me, I make the equation to the 10-year overnight success. Uh, now, I know that has changed a little bit with the advent of TikTok and Instagram reels, but typically, uh, there's a lot of front-loading and there's a lot of work involved and then you get your breakout moment. And so this notion that we don't apply this to medical prevention and medical intervention and medical treatment blows my mind. So when you don't have medical care professionals working in concert with social service professionals, which should include trauma-informed mental health professionals, we get this bullying environment of just take the med. And then we have this structure of inherent failure because whether one is taking the meds or not, they internalize that it's their fault they're not succeeding or overcoming or curing the disease. I am going to introduce to you what is considered the five stages of behavioral change. You might be going, why? Why, Bethany? Why are you giving me this psychoeducational component? Well, if you couch it in everything that I've said thus far, then maybe you will see that there is additional support, services, and context that will actually give you feelings of empowerment, actually generate success, 
diminish your sense of failure and allow you to take the time, you know, that 10 years before you have your breakout moment, because things take time and it's going to take time whether you believe it does or not. This trans theoretical model began with five steps and there have been those who have added additional ones, but I will in full disclosure say I have not trained myself in the new upgraded model, so I will not speak to what I have not been trained in. But to front load, it is there is a pre-contemplation stage, and this is where you're building awareness for your need to change. And then there's a contemplation stage. And this is where you're increasing your pros for change and decrease your cons. So it's your cost-benefit analysis, right? You're increasing your awareness. And then there's preparation where you move from, uh-uh, I ain't doing nothing, but maybe I should, to, well, if I want to, what are the pros and cons, to preparation where you're actually going, how can I create and commit to a plan? And then that's the next step. You're like, okay, I may or may not do this perfectly. I'm fully aware that this will adjust as I go along, but I'm going to take action. I am going to implement and revise my plan accordingly so I can keep on moving toward my desired goal. And while you're moving, and again, you're moving across time, you're moving across multiple variables in your life, which is why it's not a quick fix. You're going to engage in maintenance behaviors. So you're going to integrate the change into your lifestyle. And when you integrate it, you begin practicing internalizing it. Once you internalize it, it becomes habit. And once it becomes habit, you no longer think about it. Now, the caveat here is that you can be pushed off your square at any point in time of this circular stages of change. And what do you do? You begin again, then again. You go through pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance. Each time... You cycle through these five stages of change, your mind, your body, your spirit will be taking traction, even when you don't think it is. Because if you have to begin again, then again, all of a sudden you find my, yourself, Freudian slip, you find yourself going, oh, I already have that. That part I can already handle. So what's the part I can't handle? And let's address that part while we go through the cycle. It's a phenomenal way of providing a structural context to address all of those healing elements for people with or without HIV so that their body, their temple, the, their human sac can function at optimum capacity. And if not at optimum capacity, at a capacity that is not constantly pressureful, substandard, 
feeling like failure that makes you feel like the quick fix didn't work for you. So in closing with this particular episode, I am not asking anyone to pick one over the other. But I did find myself saying that if I am going to continue to break down the viral disease process within the human being, that one also has to address the socio-cultural issues, the lack of psychological issues that are involved with the viral disease process, and that some of us have very dire consequences in not understanding these concepts because we will mislabel them, we will um, put ourselves in position of further harm, we will consider ourselves uh, failures. And you cannot progress to a healthier state of mind and body and spirit if you are encumbered by just education, just the viral process. You deserve to know that there are other things in your arsenal to be a healthier human being. So yes, there are medications. Yes, there are alternative um, holistic treatments. Yes, there are things that everyday people can do to improve their life in every way with or without a disease state. And yes, there is a process in which you can follow that does take time. And the worst thing, in my opinion, that you can do is be time urgent, be hyper vigilant, because what does that do? That increases to your stress, that increases your anxiety, that increases your fears. And the more that you live in those places, the less likely you're going to understand the medical disease process, the more likely that you're going to think nothing is available for you to overcome it or to live with it or to be able to resume a normal life. So next week, we will go on to the layman's terms with the viral process. But I hope the takeaway today is, again, this is a layered issue. It's a layered issue that has been quite often treated like an exclusionary issue. And I think it's been quite damning and damaging to not only our prevention messages, our early intervention messages, but our ongoing life messages. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I know that many of us feel already so overwhelmed. Tell me one more thing I need to do, Bethany. I don't have the time, the space, the money, the wherewithal. But I do have this cut catchphrase, and it is this. If you do not hit the pause button, life will hit it for you. So at some point in time, you draw the line, you lean into the curve, 
and you choose how you want to manage that time. And anybody who tells you that you do not have the power to manage your time and they sucker you into the quick fix mentality, they are not looking at you as a whole entire being. A being that wants to have maybe a family, own a home, travel, have a career, you know, like everybody else. Until the next time, be well.